0: Now, Heavenly Father, wherever we're seated in the sanctuary, we, we acknowledge that you are here with us. You are God, Emmanuel. Heavenly Father, we so need the help of the Holy Spirit in this moment to make sense of these truths, which your word says are spiritually discerned, meaning we can't understand them without the help of the Spirit. So, Father, we yield ourselves to that cause, to hear the voice of the Lord, not only just to hear it, but to obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As many of you uh, know, I traveled to Romania on a missions trip a few years ago. Taught a course at a Bible college there and uh, spoke at various churches. And it was a wonderful time. Great people, great food, good things happened. I noticed something interesting in the thinking of some Romanian Christians. Caught me by surprise. I noticed that people were staring at my class ring a lot and making comments. And some of them were uh, not happy comments. Uh, They weren't, said, with a smile on their face. And I asked one of my younger college students about that. And they said, some Christians here think that rings like that are worldly. And then he looked at my watch and he said, and the watch as well. (laughs) Oh, I found myself very uh, defensive. And I wanted right away to say this is a class ring, and I'm trying to explain something. It's going over most of their heads, you know. And then I said, "How do you how, how do you say Costco in Romanian? Come on!" <laughs> and uh, I mean, my wife gave it to me. I said, "Just come on." I didn't even go to a jeweler, and and as if that mattered, and as if really the thought to me that was so frustrating was to know as a pastor that there are Christians who think that a ring or a watch determines my spiritual condition before the Lord. And that was really disconcerting to me. Now, if I were in a room where somebody said, you know, here we don't wear jewelry, and so you're getting up on the platform and you're really uh, Christian love, Uh, dictates to us in the scriptures that the ring should come off in the watch as well And, and there are certain guidelines in all of that as well we have common sense and boundaries but the spirit of love is to permeate in Christian circles no matter what our personal convictions may be that said as we talked, out came a long laundry list of what considers, or what makes rather one uh, worldly in that part of the world. And uh, Christians need to be zealous for God, but as Romans chapter 10 verse two says, "Let your zeal." For God be according to knowledge. And so we need to love and serve God not according to human dictates or human understanding of what makes one right with God or acceptable to God, but according to the scriptures. What do the scriptures say about worldly living and then uh, live that kind of life? And so, thankfully, we do have the Word of God that guides us with clarity on such issues. In fact, John is going to address this very topic this morning in our text, a rather well-known little text about worldliness. And so you're already there in chapter 2. Let's pick up at verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever." Now, short, sweet, and to the point, that's going to conclude our text for this morning's uh, reflection. Uh, We're going to now get a warning from the Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, which is following uh, John's affirmations and encouragement to his Christian readers. So he's just built them up. He said, man, I'm writing to you fathers. You know the Lord. I'm writing to you young people because you, you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you've overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you little children because you're in this too. You know the Lord. And then he says, and now I've got a warning. Something that can derail the whole train. Something that could wreck the love of God. Spoil everything. And it's something that we could call worldliness or a love of for the world or anything in it. Now, whatever that means, it's pretty important that we don't do it because he says it'll zap the love of God right out of your heart. It's a ripoff. It's a bad investment. It will spiritually impoverish you. It's counter to everything God is and wants for you. And so we're going to gather our thoughts around about this idea of worldliness under three Categories. One, uh, what it's not. Number two, what it is. And number three, why it's bad. It's pretty easy, right? Easy to follow? What do you say? Amen? Amen. I'm looking for a little feedback. (laughs) All right? Good. Thank you. Let's not lapse into first service mentality. (laughs) If you tell them, I said that you will be worldly Very well done. now number one what it is not now admittedly on first read and if you are a newbie to the faith you read this and, and you're like uh, what gives do not love the world or anything in the world excuse me uh, for God so loved the world that's the first scripture I ever learned and if God can so love the world, why can't I? Why would you say, do not love the world? with if God loves the world, that's crazy. It's a contradiction. Well, no, it isn't, because there are different meanings for the word world. And we're going to, of course, look at that. And whatever that word in this context means, it's important, because you'll find it six times in your text, and not in a pretty picture. It's mentioned negatively and with disdain. The world is the bad guy in the text, all right? So what does it uh, not mean? Well, it is confusing, as I said. I mean, seriously, I can't love anything in the world. Let me tell you all the things that I love that are in the world. Seriously, I, I have a lot of things that I delight in. I mean, is it the beach and the mountains? That's in the world. I mean, that's what the word world means. Well, now... It can't mean that because the physical earth is God's creation. Fallen as it is and under a curse, it is still good. And we sing about it. We sing about creation and how it is a reflection of the power and the glory of God. Psalm 19, the heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. The mountains are like his faithfulness. And the seas, you know, the roar of his voice. And the earth is a good thing. So it can't be that. And um, sports, music, novels, jewelry, that's all stuff in the world. My family, my dog, my job, that's all in the world. I can't love any of it. No, uh, that can't be it either, because God is not against enjoyment for the sake of enjoyment. Now, listen to the psalm that we read. It it says that eternal pleasures and joy are at his right hand forevermore. In fact, Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verse 7, We are to put our hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So it can't be that God isn't pleased with me enjoying something in the world, because he said in John that he has come to make my joy complete, and that in John chapter 10, verse 10, that I have come that you might have life, and not just mere existence, but fullness and abundance and a rich life of blessing. So out the window, if you're going to define worldliness as as enjoying something in this world, uh, now let's look at that idea because people think that. Some took the let's throw the baby out with the bathwater approach and denounced any kind of pleasure or enjoyment in this world, and that is called asceticism. And this was very popular in the early centuries and to some degree still is. The word asceticism comes from the word to train, to discipline your body. All right, and here's the definition. Uh, It describes a lifestyle characterized by abstinence, from various sort of worldly pleasures, often the aim of pursuing religious or spiritual goals. So some forms of Eastern religions teach salvation and liberation of the soul come to us uh, and to our bodies and minds through harsh discipline from sensual pleasures and accumulation of wealth and possessions. Uh, So the desert Christian fathers, centuries ago, lived a kind of monastic kind of life, and imposed upon themselves strict and harsh disciplines. In short, pleasure bad, deprivation good, material goods bad, poverty good. This one-dimensional approach to a lot of the scriptures that do call for self control modesty and um, restraint, there are a lot of scriptures. And if you look at them one-dimensionally, you could wind up in the desert in a cave and not eating a lot, but locusts and wild honey. Um, And that's an approach. Now, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny self, pick up cross, and follow. Well, actually, deny self is the sinful self that gets in the way of enjoying God's richest blessings. So he says, what I want you to do is you don't deny yourself in terms of enjoying life. You deny the bad, sinful nature that wants to ruin everything about enjoying your wonderful life. When he says, pick up your cross and follow, he's not saying, you know what? This whole life is one big execution. He's not saying that. He's saying, you know what? When that sinful nature in you rises up and wants to destroy everything you stand for, everything God has done in you and everything you love about your wife and your kids and your job, crucify that thing by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the context. So that you can live and enjoy God's richest blessings and be happy. That's the context, but they didn't say that. They just threw the baby out with the bathwater. So material possessions, bad, worldly. So for example, certain cars, fashions, uh, the way you dress, houses, income levels, automatically labeled worldly. Here's the truth. We can have money. We can have IRAs. We can have investments. We can have savings accounts, and we can have nice houses and nice cars and watches and rings. We just can't love them. We can't live our lives for them. We cannot worship them. We cannot put them before God. We use them. They don't use us. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a word in Hebrew that describes all three of the founding fathers, rich. King David, quote, he died good old, in a good, good old age, full of days and riches and honor. Second, First Chronicles 29, 28. Solomon, the richest guy on the planet, blessed by God, Second Chronicles, chapter 9, verse 22. The thing about God entrusting Christians with resources is that he knows that he can trust Christians to steward the resources that he provides in a manner that advances the kingdom of God, and he uses them to bless the world, to enlarge the kingdom, to bless the church, Joseph of Arimathea, rich man. God says, hey, I need a place to lay my boy. Not going to happen with Peter, James, and John. What do you say? He says, I got the check right here. It's already made out. You can have my tomb in it and spices in the whole nine yards. Thousands of dollars in spices, thousands of dollars for that tomb. Here's a nice quote. It's a big and grievous mistake to make spiritual assessments by looking at a person's bank account. When Christians look down their noses and judge their brothers and sisters in the Lord who have been entrusted with greater means than they, we add to their already heavy burden by criticizing them in matters we know nothing about and should mind our own business. Amen? Thank you. So uh, now, to be, ins- to be sure then, uh, enjoying life and having stuff isn't what he's talking about. Uh, God's desire is to see us enjoy things. Now, uh, Jesus' first miracle, my friend, was not raising the dead. It wasn't opening the eyes of the blind. I mean, for miracle number one, son of God, this is going to make a statement. Here's the first thing I want to tell everybody, the first time I use my divine powers to make a statement about who I am, water to wine. I have come to bring joy, and in a sinless way of understanding this statement, to keep the party going, to avoid embarrassing this young couple, to have happiness and joy. That is the symbol of those stone uh, containers is man. There's six of them, the number of man. And in his presence, the water blushes and turns into this beautiful, uh, joyous occasion. But the ascetics who would come into the early church would say, you know what, Jesus' uh, first miracle should have been is turning the wine into water, but it didn't happen. (laughs) Jesus went to dinner parties, uh, weddings, singing and dancing with wine involved. Uh, Psalm 45, verse 7, Jesus had more joy than any human being ever. Psalm 45, verse 7. Now, sourpuss false holiness was around the first century. Now, get this, and this is what they were saying in Corinth, and it'll help you understand the letter to the Corinthians, because folks were coming in and saying this kind of stuff. Oh, you're so worldly. You're getting married? And so they would forbid people from getting married. Oh, you eat that kind of rich food? Are you kidding me? You could have sold that and given it to the poor. So they forbid them from eating certain kinds of food, drinking wine, going to celebrations and holidays and festivals, and get a load of this. <laughs> if you were married, they forbid you to have intimacy. They said, abstain, that is worldly. You are loving things in the world. And Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, uh that's a really bad idea. And all the husbands reading Paul's letter were like, yes, Paul, thank you. No, I can't believe I just said that, if you're wondering. Either, yeah, so here we go. So Paul writing to the Colossians, who were all dealing with this kind of um, well-intended, Without knowledge, zeal. And he said, to the, he said it beautifully. He said, Colossians chapter 2, these kind of self-imposed rules make people look good, don't they? I mean, after all, they're treating their body with such stern discipline. But these petty man-made rules lack any real value in restraining sensual indulgence. He says it's a waste of time whether you take the ring off or put the ring on, whether you eat the pork chop or don't eat the pork chop, whether you go to the dance or you don't go to the dance or whatever thing you have a problem with. He says that's not what it's all about. So we can appreciate the zeal of God and we will be sensitive to people who have convictions. I don't want to stumble anybody, but neither do I want to reinforce your, excuse me, uh, neurotic obsessions with certain things. And I'm not talking about this congregation. I'm talking about John Wesley, who told a lady in his congregation, she said, Mr. Wesley, I am offended by the way that you tie your bow because it looks like the fashion of the saloon keeper. And why are you tying your bow like that? I can't hear a word you're saying because of the way you tie the bow. So he stopped doing that. And then next week, he was, saw her coming, and he's like, oh, she's going to affirm me for taking the bow off. And she said, about your cufflinks. You know, it's not going to work. That's not going to work. So within common sense, we are going to uh, live our Christian, sli- Christian lives with love. Now, the second thing is it's not. It's not asceticism, and it's not legalism. A legalism for you new Christians, legal, law, turning your Christian new life, love, relationship with God into a set of do's and don'ts. Oh, yes, I'm a Christian because I don't. Oh, yes, I'm a Christian because I do. Oh, that, that is so religious and so wrong. And so the Pharisees started it all. They said, let's help God out. He made a command about not working on Saturday, the Sabbath. He wants this whole day for himself. So let's define for our people what he meant by, by working. And so they had a thousand rules about what constituted work. And so if, how about if I pick something up in the house? okay, you're allowed to pick something up as long as it doesn't weigh more than two dried figs. If you picked up something that weighed five dried figs, you were breaking the Sabbath. That was a big one. They said, hey, you know, how many steps does it take to make a journey? Because he said, don't take a journey. So they said, you know, that's about a 1,000 steps. So they measured out string for a 1,000 paces, and they would sell those strings, the Pharisees would, so that you wouldn't have to be counting all Saturday long, one, two, three. All you'd have to do is you had this handy dandy string for the Sabbath, and you'd pull it out, and you would know you'd leave the trail. I've got this much string so that I could walk. And Jesus came into that world, and he said, put the strings away. And they said, let's kill that guy (laughs) He's taken away our strings, (laughs) our rules. How else are we going to know how many thousand steps are? Because that's what a Christian is. 1,001 and and you're done. 999, you good. It's not legalism, so some rules are good, obviously. Thou shalt nots are all the rules we will say. That's a good one. We need to keep that. But rules are good, but when there's no life or faith or love of God in your heart that enables you to keep them, now rules have created hypocrisy and a facade because you talk about a rule that you could never keep. And yeah, so you don't wear the ring and you don't wear the watch because that's your rule. But in your heart, you're coveting and envying and breaking the very rule that you're so, you know, uh, sure of uh, pleasing God about. So as examples in old school Christianity there's no you know there was no card playing. You couldn't my wife's grandma uh, comes from a time where American Christians couldn't play cards cuz Christians don't play cards. And they don't go to theater. And they don't do this and they don't do that and you don't mix swim with boys and girls. And ladies, watch out for the makeup, no wearing pants and jewelry. And the list goes on and on and on. And today we talk about secular music or is dancing okay? Certain kinds of dancing, oh, oh, oh my. I mean, there's dancing that, you know, you're outright sinning by doing that. But I mean, it gets complicated, but you can't make a rule. You just can't. If, there's, if it's not in the Bible, you can't make a rule about it. Now, in matters where there is no command or clear principle, uh, that's called a matter of conscience. And Paul says, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the person who does not condemn themselves by what they approve. Sammy my friend from Romania came up to me after first service, and he said, oh, I could tell you some stories. He said, when I was growing up, he said, first of all, no TV. The Christians weren't allowed to have TVs. If you had a TV, you were not a Christian. Uh, Second of all, then it got okay to have TVs, but it had to be a certain size. The larger the TV, the less Christian you were. (laughs) all right and then he said and then they went to color and it was thou shalt not have a television with color because then you were worldly they said no lie and uh that's the way some people live their christian lives and and uh that's not what worldly means what it is well It's important to understand what the word means so that we can know what he's talking about, because he has another use for world. So we're in point two, what it is. Yes, God so loved the world, which in that context, John says, it's the masses of people, the object of God's love. Yes, God made the world, and it's a good thing. Yes, Jesus is the payment for the sins of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, the world is the object of his love and also the purpose of his redemptive plan. However, there's another meaning that most of you know. John also says the world at the present moment lies under the spell of the evil one and therefore is hostile and opposed to God, his word his followers and everything he is and stands for. John says he came into the world and the world didn't recognize him. You see, and in this regard, Jesus said, the world hates me because I tell it that they are doing wrong, that how they live is evil. And so in John chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus says, of the world, they hate me. And don't be surprised if they hate you, same chapter. Because you're about me, they didn't like me. They reject me, the world. So in this sense, uh, they rejected, the world despised, and the world ultimately killed the Lord of glory. So in this sense then, to not love the world, he's talking about the godless philosophies, immoral values, and sinful lifestyles of the Christ-rejecting masses. That's what he means by the world. And conformity to what I just said is what worldliness is all about. So here's a paraphrase. He defines it right there. It's not in things. It's in the heart. For everything in the world, and here's what I mean by that, the craving sinners have, the, those eyes that are always lusting, that bragging about how important he is, uh, or you are, or how much you have. Well, you can be sure that none of that comes from heaven, but it's the way of the world. So what is he saying? By worldly people and don't love the world or anything in it. He's saying, don't envy godless people who live unbelieving, godless lives. Don't think like unbelievers. Don't play their games. Don't love what they love. I meant games as figurative there. Um, uh, what, what? Just in case you're wondering, what games? Monopoly? <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, uh, what do they love? What, do the, what does the world love? And so I made a little list. They love praise and applause from men rather than from God. They love greed, and they love money in keeping up with the Joneses. They live for pleasure and not for God. They love sex without marital commitment. They love parties without moral restraint. They love to lie and steal and cheat when they feel it necessary. They love to call their own shots with their lives to be masters of their own destinies to do what they want to do when they want to. When somebody harms them, they want to get even. They love to be served. They love to boss people around. They love to feel superior and better than others. He says, when you act like that, you're worldly. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, the apostle says, for us who are coming out of this system. So three things that we are to avoid, really plainly, right here, what is worldliness? Number one, it's the craving of the sinful nature. Here's a short definition of that. Wanting what I want, when I want it, because I want it, with total disregard for what God wants or thinks. Done, worldliness. Two, the lust of the eyes. Short definition, the greed and passionate desire for forbidden things aroused by seeing them. David sees Bathsheba, commits adultery. Achan sees the Babylonian robe and takes it. And Eve sees the fruit that was pleasing to the eye. It's the love of beauty divorced from the love of goodness. Now, Will Rogers, uh, a quote that people often use, he said, too many of us spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't particularly care for. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. And the third one. What makes you worldly? He says it right here. The pride of life, King James has. The pride. Uh, Short definition, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, looking down our noses at others, wanting them to be impressed. It's showing off and wanting honor and recognition instead of giving that place to God. And so really, in short, let me just put it this way. It's uh, worldliness is living and lusting and grasping like the rest of this God-hating world to be just like them. Then you're worldly. Okay, that's what it is. Now, why is it bad? Well, he gives you three quick things right there in just a verse. Robs you of God's love, ruins your Christian life and witness, and a very foolish spiritual investment. So, first of all, he says it robs you of God's love because he's going to say the two lifestyles of loving what God hates, the world, and sin and darkness, loving that stuff, and loving Him are two mutually exclusive ideas. They cannot coexist. That's what he's saying. He's saying, okay, if you love the world, the love of the Father is far from you. You can't have it both ways. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, I'll oh, put it so uh, poignantly, he said, if I had a brother who had been murdered, what would you think of me if I daily, every day, uh, consorted with the assassin who drove the dagger into my brother's heart? Surely I, too, must be an accomplice in the crime. Sin murdered Jesus, our Lord. Will you be a friend to sin? Sin pierced the heart of the incarnate God. Can you love it? Jesus loves me, this I know. To my porn site, now I go. It doesn't work to sing about Jesus' love and then to do something like that. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to do my own thing, oh my soul, rejoice. She's saying, come on, you can't have it both ways. You can't have A and B and call it AB, it's not gonna work. You either have A or B, that's just not going to happen. And so, you know, I just thought of it this way. (laughs) Tell your wife that you got a little thing going on the side. It's not a big thing. It's just a little thing with some young lady at work. It's not like, you know, all the time. It's just here and there a little little bit, you know. (laughs) And see if the love of your wife and the home and the fellowship and the oneness you guys feel. See if that's not interrupted. That's what John's saying. You're going to love the thing that hates God and put God on the cross, and you're going to embrace it. Not only are you going to struggle with it, but you're going to take sides, and you're going to join the team. Not going to happen, John says. So secondly, he's saying it robs you of God's love, and it ruins your Christian life. He said it will choke you out. You'll wind up like that guy in Corinthians who's saved except it, it, only as though through fire. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians that I talk a lot about because I don't want anybody to have that realized as their destiny. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15 talks about people who, because of the, their unfaithfulness in their Christian life, that they get to heaven only by the skin of their teeth. They are there, but they are not rewarded. And it says that because of their unfaithfulness, their bad stewardship, you can wreck your Christian witness, cause a lot of damage, upset people's lives. And yes, you're a Christian, unfortunately, in that regard of the damage that was done. You shall be saved, but no reward. Why? Worldliness somewhere got into you. Now, in Colossians chapter 4, Paul the Apostle is signing off, and he's naming all these men of God who are with him. And he says, hey, I send my greetings, Colossians, and Timothy, my son in the faith, sends his greeting, and Epaphroditus sends his greeting, and Demas, beloved Demas, sends his greeting. Some years go by, at the end of Paul's life, he's signing off his life. Swan Song Letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And he says, Timothy, come quickly. Demas has deserted me because he loved this present world. He's left me hanging and gone to Thessalonica. What was in Thessalonica? A girl. Money? Was it worth going from the eternal word of God in Colossians 4 when people meet him in heaven, he's going to say, hey, I'm Demas. Wow, you're Demas, Colossians 4.14. Wow, awesome. <laughs> and now we go, oh, you're Demas, Colossians 4.14. 2 Timothy 4. <laughs> <laughs> oh, glad to meet you. Good you're here and all of that. But you know what? He, he, he can't go back and change it. He left the apostle Paul hanging. And Paul gave him a shout out. Why? For all of us to say, do you want to finish like that? Then love the world. Buy what they're selling in the figurative sense there as well. Embrace their philosophies. The bells and the whistles go drooling after everything. Gaga for what they go gaga for. And you know what? You're going to find yourself at the end, deserting. Why? For, uh, for coins, for zeros in the bank account. That mean nothing for a watch, for, for what, uh, a sexual fling. Trading. So it gets me to my last point. He says, what a dumb trade. He says, this world is temporary. Why would you invest and make a trade where where this world isn't lasting and and everything? Well, let me just read it and don't you forget the world and all its godless glory is passing away. It's perishing. The earth is on its deathbed. It's going to disappear and will never be heard of again. But the one who does God's will will live forever. Now, when a company is falling apart, sensible people don't invest in it. When you take your car that you want to purchase, maybe an expensive used car, to a mechanic, and it fails the compression test, and the guy comes out shaking his head covered with oil, and it says, you know, in the tranny pan, there's metal shavings. (laughs) This isn't good. You don't go back to the guy and say, uh, "Cashier's check, or how do you want? How do you want this six thousand dollars?" No, you, there'd be something wrong with you. Like, do you not get it? Well, well, this is more than a compression test by some mechanic. God has written His destiny in a letter that says the earth has been found to have metal shavings in the planetary ban. It's failed the God test. The thing is falling apart and one day will go up in flame and fire with a roar and fervent heat and the heavens as well will disappear like a scroll rolling up. And then whatever survives is the one who did the will of God and whatever you did in the will of God survives and nothing else gone are as Hollywood and everybody with the world's applause if it was unbelieving. Godless people that commanded the world's attention and praise, gone. Unbelievers who made the Forbes list, gone. And not making the list in the lambs. Book of Life, because that's the only list that really is ever going to matter. I'd like to have somebody who could come up from Hades, who perished, and interview them for five minutes and just stick a microphone in their face, put them on the platform and say, what was it? Was it worth it to you to keep you from the love of God and from faith in Jesus Christ? With terrible trades. So he's saying, listen, the, the red carpet, it's going to be rolled up. It's never going to be unfurled again. And all the things that were highly esteemed, gone, 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 gone. And then what? The poor guy in Luke chapter 12 Jesus tells a story about he probably existed. And Jesus tells a story about the guy. He says, you know, he didn't have time for God. And he wasn't into spiritual things. And so he just kept building barns for his stuff. And he had barns and barns and barns. But no relationship with God. He was rich in the world, but poor toward God. And then the, the Lord telling the story. He said, one day, one day, that guy's heart just stopped beating. Boom. Done. Dead. Dead. Game over. And he's standing before God. And God says, that was foolish. All you got to show now is barns and barns and barns. We don't do barns here. Look at this place. (laughs) And he's like, well, do you take Visa? (laughs) No, we don't do that. We don't do anything like that. What do you got to show for the whole life I gave you? Nothing, nothing toward you, but I had a lot of accomplishments. I was on the, in this magazine and on this and that. And everybody, I walked into a room, and they're like, oh. And he goes, well, when you walked into this room, this is what was important. Did anyone go, ooh, or ah, oh, did a cell phone go off? <laughs> Unbelievable. You want to talk about worldly? Now, I already know how God is going to get me here, because my cell phone is probably going to go off. And if you call me right now, you're worldly, too. It's off anyway, so go ahead. Vibrate away. I don't care. I'm ignoring you. All right, so where was I? And about haircuts. Seriously? Somebody said, you know what? Your shaved head is pretty worldly, (laughs) because it's so in right now. Are you trying to be cool and in? And I said, no, I don't have any hair to grow. (laughs) So (laughs) that's what I'm doing. But anyway, I digress. Let me finish up. He's saying, here's the sobering thought, everything that the entire Christ-rejecting world ran after and sacrificed for and lived and died to have to get to experience. (coughs) Gone. In a moment. A roar, a boom, done. Beauty, pleasure, fame, and fortune all have an expiration date. Jesus said, make your life count. So let's close. And here's what I did in my own reflecting on this verse. I just inverted the whole thing. I just made it Positive. And I'll read it to you. We'll close in prayer. Love God and everything about him and his kingdom, and you'll live in the Father's love. By doing this, you will not gratify your sinful nature. Your eyes will be fully on him. And your boasting, it'll be all about the Lord, who he is and what he's done heaven and its desires will be around forever, along with you who do his will. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that just is so sharp, like a double-edged sword goes straight to the heart. It corrects us, it challenges us, it comforts us, keeps us healthy and balanced in our thinking. Father, help us to love you, to fill our hearts with the Father's love so there's no room for rival thrones. In Jesus' name, amen.